Welcome to What The If. Philip Shane here, documentary filmmaker and non-artificial intelligence. Perhaps even non-artificial non-intelligence. And I am here with my co-host, Matthew Stanley of New York University. How are you, sir, today? Um, I am feeling fairly natural, I guess, in the sense of not being artificial. Um, uh, but uh, the the real question is, can our listeners tell? <laughs> right, and that's going to kind of come down to uh, the, the the theme of the day is can they can they tell the difference between the natural me and the artificial me? That's true. That's true. And we don't know. We don't have it's not like we're not even going to say, well, here's the natural and here's the artificial. We're not going to play it like an A-B test. Well, we, we will reveal at the end of the podcast whether yeah. this is actually me yes. or just a lifelike cyborg. <laughs> Excellent. Um, Excellent. So if, uh, if people want to go to the uh, What the If website right now and put in their vote for whether it's the real me or the fake me, we will ignore those votes. Um, as a proper intelligence would. That's right. No. Yeah. Uh, we haven't done this in a little while. So for those of us, those in the audience who are new, um, mm. perhaps have stumbled upon this, uh, perhaps they are a bot and they were just sort of yep. trolling, I could, I could, yeah. you know, the web. Um, mm -hmm. Let's tell our robot overlords or our robot visitors. What, what, what is this show? What does that mean? What does the title mean? Uh, so this is a show where we uh, change something about reality or the world or history. Uh, and then we run with what the consequences of that are. So that's the, the that's the what if part. Um, and then the the in the middle is the uh, the outrage and anger we have at the the new bizarre world that we have created in our heads. And we have a, we have a, a right to be angry today. Uh, that's right. That's right. Our very livelihoods are at stake. Indeed. Uh, and so we we uh, um, sometimes we have guests who come on with their own ifs and they they expound upon them. Mm -hmm. Other times we have um, members of our audience uh, who I generally believe are biological creatures. We cannot verify mm -hmm. that always. However, they they pass the Turing test exceedingly well. And um uh, so you and the audience are welcome to uh, suggest your own ideas or ask your own ifs, uh, suggest idea topics. You can do that by going to our website, feed, uh, going to feedback. Sorry, go to our website and click contact, or you can email us at feedback at whatif.com. As uh, Rod in Edinburgh, I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly, has done. Edinburgh, Edinburgh. Edinburgh, yes, that is the Scottish method of pronunciation. Right, not Edinburgh. Edinburgh. Yep. Um, no, that's a, a, a good way to uh, give yourself away as a non-Scot. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Mm -hmm. So Rod in Edinburgh um, wrote in and asked, could AIs do a podcast? So he goes right, right, for, the, right for our jugular right there. Boom. Yeah, that's true. Actually, this had not occurred to me, but maybe he is throwing some shade at us. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Could uh, he did. OK, now, to your credit, Rod, you do not say could AIs do a better podcast? <laughs> OK, so this is a uh, as a mathematician say that is a non-trivial point. That's right. That's right. Um, not right. And no judgment. So we appreciate that non-judgmental question from Rod, purely scientific. And Rod, what, what, this is what Rod wrote. He says, uh, by the way, Turing, I guess he, maybe he was listening to an earlier episode where we did something about AI. Oh, I think he was, we, we, um, we did an episode about uh, the history of computers and we touched on uh, Alan Turing at one point. So mm -hmm. Rod had written it at that point and he said, by the way, Turing was also an early thinker about AI. He devised the Turing test to judge whether computers had reached human levels of intelligence. Not sure if you've ifed AI yet. Just a thought. And he says, could AIs do a podcast and are they already doing them? Rod in Edinburgh. Right. Thank you, Rod. And uh, what say ye, Professor? 
So Turing's, I, I should say, when we did our, our series on the, the history of computing, um, we sort of focused on John von Neumann. Um, and uh, our, our UK listeners were a little put out that um, Turing did not get enough time. So it's good that we can, we should do this. Yes. Um, so uh, Alan Turing's was a, uh, a English mathematician. Um, worked on uh, worked on particularly um, cracking codes during World War II, um, the, the the famous code breaking laboratory at uh, Bletchley Park in England. Right. Um, and Turing, uh, while he's solving concrete problems like figuring out um, German codes and you know correct bombing runs and things like this, uh, got thinking about the the more general problem of what it means to have a machine thinking, right? So does, because cracking a code would be a good example of a human thinking about things. And then a machine can do that. So that kind of raises the larger question of what else could a machine do that is human-like, right? Um, so Turing has a couple of different versions of this problem. Um, that he sort of ponders over the years. Uh, one of the early ones is called an imitation, the imitation game. Um, and it's, uh, I, I should say, heads up for some um, uh, old fashioned gender views here. Okay. okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, so he says you've got um, uh, two closed off rooms and one has a, a man and one has a, a woman in it. Uh, and then you have a runner who's carrying messages back and forth between you and one of those two sirens. Hang on. Yeah, Sorry, yeah. The, uh, there's an emergency that there are. An emergency a, decoding. Touring emergency, yeah. Okay. So the imitation game uh, works where there's uh, two closed off rooms that you can't see into. And one is a man and one is a woman. Um, and you are sitting like around the corner and you have a runner who carries messages back and forth between you and one of the people in the sealed off room. Um, and the imitation game is that the people in the sealed off room try to convince you that they are the other gender. That is, the woman tries to convince you they're a man, and the man tries to convince you that they're a woman. Heavens, heavens to yes. Betsy! I know. Can you can you imagine the the shock of this, right? Um, and I just say there's there's a kind of another uh, odd layer to this particular version of the story in that um, Turing himself uh, had an unusual gender identity um, in that he was gay, so he was a, a homosexual man, um, and quite tragically, this was still uh, illegal in Britain at the time. Um, and he had to undergo forced hormone therapy, Ooh. which led to his suicide some years later. Mm. So there's, it seems like there may be some, some deep story there about Turing juggling the, the possibilities of masking uh, one's gender identity. Interesting. Right? Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so the, the imitation game, uh, then he sort of generalizes that more broadly as he begins thinking about machines, um, which is what if one of those people was not even human, right? What if it was a machine? But the same, the same general structure applies. So this becomes what we come to call the, the Turing test, which is you've got this runner carrying messages back and forth. Um, and one of, one of the people you're interacting with is a person and the other is a machine pretending to be a person. Uh, so Turing's question is, how would you tell, right? Could you, could you tell which one was a person and which one was a machine? I didn't realize it involved like a runner, basically sneaker net. Yeah. Well, it's right. Nowadays you would do it by text, right? Right. Um, but that was not like a concept at the time. So Turing actually has a, a fairly elaborate system of envelopes and, you know, a poorly paid undergraduate student uh, carrying the stuff back and forth for you. Oh, that's I had no idea. in my mind, perhaps because I learned of it uh, while at the same time learning about Eliza. Um, mm -hmm. But in my mind, it was always either email or um, you just, talk, you know, typing on a computer terminal. And I, it, yeah. yeah, it didn't occur to me that we're talking about a time way before any of that. Right. Um, so it's, it's different. So you mentioned Eliza. It was sort of a, a um, well, I guess now 
40 year old um, attempt to solve this problem. Wow. So just to kind of be be clear about it, the, the way the Turing test works is it's a um, a test of inability to distinguish. Okay, So we say that a machine is artificially intelligent if you can't distinguish between it and a person. Right. Does that make sense? That so sense. if right, okay, if it so can if, fool you. Yeah, exactly. So if you're looking at the messages and you say, oh, only a machine would say Justin Bieber made bad music, then you say the machine <laughs> failed the test. Right. And actually, so, um, for instance, uh, one of the more uh, famous uh, fictional examples that explores this kind of story is uh, Blade Runner. And yes. so where okay. there are. There are replicants who are basically, let's say, robots. Yeah, essentially. They are artificial intelligence, like artificial creatures. Um, they are actually biological, not mechanical. It's a whole different thing. But yeah, anyway, but basically, the idea is that you can't tell the difference mm -hmm. between them. So they, so therefore, if you can't tell the difference, then that quote robot is or replicant is a person. Mm -hmm. And therefore, perhaps, shouldn't they be entitled to the same? That's rights? right. And that's that's the deeper question of Blade Runner and then the Philip K. Dick stories that it's based on is that if you can't tell the difference, um, then you should treat them the same. Right. Okay. Right. Uh, and that's so that's one step further than Turing goes. By the way, but... ever so slight spoiler alert. If you do not treat them with the respect that they think they also because they're smart. They think mm -hmm. I, you're, yep. I'm indistinguishable from you. You should treat me with respect. If you don't, you may be in trouble. Yes, that's right. Rutger Hauer will crush your skull. They, they make so, it bad. Beware. <laughs> uh, so that's right. So the, if you're familiar with Blade Runner, the Voigt-Kampf test that they do to try and distinguish humans um, from uh, from the replicants it is just a fancy version of the Turing test. And as is often the case in sci-fi, the idea is that. Um, there you can there is some element that humans have that machines never will and that you can then test for that. So in Blade Runner, it's empathy, if I remember. Yes, right. That's right. Um, so, so it's checking to see if you have an empathic reaction to something. Yeah. Um, and the Turing test is is agnostic on what that quality would be. Right. It's, it's not like Turing says, oh, well, hum uh, machines will never have emotions, so we should look for emotions. But rather, he casts the net very wide and says if there, there could be many things that distinguish machines from humans and we'll we'll watch for those. Right. And if we if we catch one of them, then we catch the machine pretending to be human. Um, and if we don't, then we don't. Um, and that so implies that that this humanity is in the eye of the beholder. That's exactly right. Is this is one of the, it's really it's really a fascinating test because yeah. of all the things that you might choose to distinguish humans from machines. Turing essentially chose social interaction. Can this thing interact like a normal person? And that's not obvious that that should be the choice, right? You might choose does this does it have free will? Does it love its mother? Right. Does it like to pet soft rabbits? Um, there's all kinds of different things that you might choose or could it compose a poem. Um, yeah. But he doesn't choose any of those. He says, kind of, it's up to you. Right. You you decide um, what your standard is going to be. And if you feel that um, maternal love is the human standard, then you talk to your your potential machine about human love uh, and see if the answers it gives you are persuasive. Yeah, and it's interesting that that the um, physical attributes, which, for instance, in Blade Runner type example, it's hugely important that they look exactly like people and act yes, exactly right. like people. Yeah. But in uh, in this Turing test, you're not even seeing. Yeah. The, and that's a, and that's an important part of the test, right? So yeah. you're not watching for facial expressions or something like that. It's just words. Um, and you can and you can kind of see how Turing's background as a codebreaker would have led him to this point because he he spends day in and day out dealing with long sequences of alphanumeric uh, sentences um, that he then tries to make sense of. Right? Yeah, so, so that's his kind of interaction. It's kind of like a pen pal. For yeah, those yeah, who remember good pen pals. Yep. Okay. If you, uh, yeah. Is this person I am? sending letters to and getting letters back from an actual person. Right. Fascinating. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, so as people try to 
uh, as, as is often the case when you come up with a test for something like this, um, that it actually it immediately becomes useless for testing the actual thing um, because people start trying to get around the testing mechanism itself. <laughs> right. Like the SAT does not no longer measures actual academic achievement. It just measures how good you are taking the SAT. Um, so once you propose the Turing test, people are like, all right, how could I design a machine that would most likely fool a person? Right. right. And, so they're no longer trying to create an intelligence. They're just trying to fool the test. Right. And and this when I mentioned Eliza, if I'm remembering Eliza correctly, yeah. Eliza was a therapist. Is that right? That's right. So this was uh, in uh, back in the 70s, I believe. Right. Um, an attempt at making a, an AI that could pass the Turing test. Right. And as you say, it was like a psychoanalytic therapist um, because one of the again, people sort of sat down and thought through like, OK, what would. How, how could uh, what kind of things could a machine do that would be hard to distinguish from a particular kind of human interaction? And it turns out that, say, therapists uh, ask you lots of questions and whatever it is you say, they then ask you a question about that. Right. So they tell you they, they start off with tell me about your mother. And then you say. Oh, boy, that's a whole nother episode. That's <laughs> <laughs> and then Eliza says, why do you think that's a whole other episode? Uh and then whatever you say, um, yeah. Eliza turns it into a question because that's what that's right. therapists do. That's right. So uh, it mimics the experience of talking to a therapist pretty well um, because it never actually has to say anything. Well, it yeah, just it says back to you whatever you say. That's right. It's sort of they, cho they chose. They said, OK, who are the least communicative <laughs> humans? Yep, and let's right. let's set that as the lowest bar. And in fact, it's funny you say that the, the a therapist asks a lot of questions. In fact, you might say you could boil a therapist's questions down to uh, tell me more about that. Yep, that's, is, but that that is exactly it. Right? <laughs> which is actually um, one of Eliza's responses, I think. Right. Mm -hmm. right. So it's a it's a relatively simple program, right. um, but in the seventies was like really groundbreaking. In fact, Carl Sagan was totally blown away by this. He has a, a chapter in one of his books just about Eliza, yeah. and how he feels that that's the uh, this shows where computers can go. Um, so there's an important sense in which uh, Eliza does pass the Turing test. You know, can you tell the difference between a real psychotherapist and uh, a machine? Or it means and, that therapist, psychotherapists fail the Turing test. That Well, this is, I think that's, again, an important point, actually, is that uh, a badly communicating human um, might fail the Turing test as well. So a, a good like if you were really interested in pursuing this, you would want to do some double blind Turing tests. Right. Um, that is every now and then you've got two humans you're trying to distinguish between. Uh, and it might be that you you choose one of them as feeling less human than the other. Uh, and that might suggest that the Turing test is actually not so useful. And, and just to, just to say, I jest, I jest for those therapists in the audience or those of us who have therapists in the audience. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I jest. Uh, so as you say, you, you should pick an uncommunicative kind of human to imitate uh, if you want to pass the test. So several years, so there, there's an annual Turing test that is that is held oh. and people compete. Um, and one of the more successful ones from several years ago, uh, it was found that if um, you designed an AI to, to communicate like a teenage boy, who does not speak English well, oh. it's almost perfect. Because so, it turns out some of the things you look for are um, correct grammar, kind of natural, uh, natural reactions. Um, uh, let's see here, appropriate kinds of interaction, right? What's the polite thing to say back yeah. after somebody says something to you? Um, and teenage boys are bad at all of those things. So if you think you're talking to a teenage boy, your standards for like what counts as a, a normal human interaction drop dramatically. <laughs> so it doesn't seem weird to you uh, that they're doing these, that they're saying these bizarre things. Right. And in fact, actually, this is no joke. Um, Twitter has gotten to the point where it and I suppose Facebook, too, to a lesser degree, but the idea that th there are these bots everywhere. Um, mm -hmm. But let's say Twitter 
it really is impossible to tell sometimes whether a tweet is from a bot. Yeah. Uh, is, is that actually a human that wrote that mm -hmm. tweet? You know? Yeah. So these are also in Turing terms. Those are all successful versions of the Turing test. Mm. Right. Every bot that gets you to click on a link um, every time you get catfished on uh, uh, Tinder. Um, yeah. by a bot. I'm not suggesting you get catfished by Tinder. No. On Tinder, but somebody Is that else, happening? Right? Are people being catfished by bots? Oh, yes. Whoa. <laughs> it's worse than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, it, yeah, there's a... So when Turing was thinking about uh, machine intelligence, he was thinking about the, the building size computers that we had talked about in our previous episodes, right? right. Um, so... Uh, sort of a, a big piece of infrastructure. But now computing is so cheap that it's not hard to create an Eliza-style bot um, just out of software. Right. Uh, and the, the fact that they're so prevalent on dating sites um, suggests that along with therapists, people trying to pick you up are bad and easily predicted communicators, right? There's a standard way to flirt with people online and you can replicate it with a robot easily. Wow. Or you may find out uh, that you are more attracted to bots. Um, yes, I that... will. I will decline to go down that route. Um, <laughs> I don't know. There may be some teenage boys who fit that. <laughs> um, it's uh, uh, weird yes, science. Wasn't that movie where the kids? That's right. With weird science. That's right. If the bot looks like uh, what was her name? Kelly LeBrock. Ah. I can't remember the, yeah. the, the name of the, the woman, but she was yeah. briefly married to Steven Seagal. Oh, <laughs> who is a bot? <laughs> who is, yes. That's bot, we can bot. He's, he's, yeah. a he's like a Robocop. Um, so, uh, so, so for yeah. the if, right? So the right. if is... Oh, I have not given a proper introduction to the if. Oh, okay. All right. What the if... Artificial Intelligence Machines had a podcast. Okay, there we go. So Turing's question, yeah. his guidance is say, can you tell the difference between that podcast and one made by humans? What should we look for? What, what should we look for and listen for to try and figure out whether we're listening to the AI podcast. Well, you know what? I, it makes me think there's another test I could think of. I don't know. It, was, it wasn't an official test, but the Coneheads mm -hmm. test. This is a <laughs> deep cut. This goes way back. This is really for the elders in the audience. But on Saturday Night Live, mm -hmm. there was a long running series of uh, sketches uh, with the Coneheads who were yeah. aliens who had large Cone-shaped heads. Cone-shaped heads. Yep. Yes. Um, and I encourage you, if you've never, go on YouTube or wherever your Saturday Night Live episodes are available and look these up. They they were quite funny. They were. I haven't seen them in a long time. I'd be curious to know how they've aged. Yeah. Um, but that's right. As you say, there are these um, uh, uh, aliens who are trying to pretend to be human. Yeah. Um, and their, their tagline was always, um, uh, when people would say like, where are you from? Or where do you get this idea? And they would say, we are from France. Yeah, uh, and the, 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 the gag being that, you know, Americans are so dumb about the rest of the world that if you just say you're from anywhere except, uh, New Jersey, they'll accept any kind of bizarre behavior right. on your part. And the fact that they um, were, they had gigantic cone-shaped heads. That's right. They're obviously not human. Yeah. Um, so there's Dan Aykroyd and, um, yeah. Uh, is it Jane? Oh, Jane Curtin. Jane Curtin. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So they were great. So very funny bits. Yeah. Um, same kind of problem, right? The, the, the cone heads are trying to, um, pass as human right. in the same way that Turing is suggesting machines could try to pass as human. Right. And yeah. so one of one of the ways they stand out is they use uh don't they drink beer like crazy? Beer. <laughs> they're, they're socially yeah, inappropriate. Maybe. I can't remember exactly. That's right. Yeah. Socially inappropriate things, yeah. right? Um so actually so Turing would probably dig those sketches because yeah. he would say, see, there are clear 
things that indicate a proper human from a non-proper human. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I don't think he ever really pulled this this implication out, but um, many of those are social things, right? They're, they're politeness things, right? Correct uh-huh. way to behave. So um, I think he was thinking more along the lines of if you ask it to do a difficult math problem, can it do it quickly? And if it can, then it's probably not a human. Right. But it's actually turns out that like correct way of drinking beer is a much more reliable way of detecting uh, an artificial intelligence than math. Right. And interestingly, too, though, um, uh, in our day and age with the Internet in particular, we are much more um, but it's much more common now for us to interact with people who are from a different culture and who perhaps don't yeah, speak our language Mm-hmm. Um, as fluently. Yeah, and, yeah, that's right. And one of the consequences of that is now um, uh, there's a mode of communication that's natural for internet forums or texting, say, uh, that is not the same as verbal communication. Oh, that's true. Uh, yeah. Right. Like you're, you send a text and whether or not you put a period at the end of that text has enormous emotional significance. Um, and I do not understand this at all. So like I'll text my daughters and I'll say, why are you mad, dad? And I'm like, I'm not mad. And like, why did you put a period at the end of that sentence? Yes. I'm like, oh, because I'm communicating in English and this is what we do. Um, but in <laughs> fact, that's not the case anymore. Right. So there's all these subtleties um, attached to that kind of communication. That's interesting because, so, because I work in a visual medium, filmmaking, mm-hmm. perhaps, or just whatever. I, I use emojis. I love emojis. Because yeah. it, like it's a way of speaking, you know, with I don't know, more than just w- letters. Um, but it, it's interesting to mention that because when I was talking about the bots on Twitter, one of the things I think the bots do most commonly is use emojis. Sometimes oh, like right? crazy, okay. and it's like what's interesting is yeah, yeah, and you're getting an emotional response. So almost mm-hmm. subliminally, you're feeling like, oh yeah, well that's a human because there, I can see his face. He is barfing. <laughs> Well, that's right. so that's right. So in that sense, the emojis are like the coneheads saying yeah. they're from France. That's right. right? Yeah. Somebody has has decided um, that, OK, emojis equals emotions. Emotions are one of the ways we distinguish machines from humans. So st- stamp on some emo- um, some emojis and then we're good to go. In fact, the smiling poop emoji, yeah. I think, was invented by a bot because who I don't know what the human no, is. Ab- no human would ever have done that. What is. Yeah. Yeah, why is it smile? I mean, it's hilarious. I use it all the time, but <laughs> I don't know what it means. Yeah, yeah. So, so in terms of the podcast, so we've got this AI podcast. So yeah. we go on, we go on iTunes and right. we search for science podcasts, and then we listen to a whole bunch of them, and we know one of them is an AI, is produced by an AI. Um, how do we decide what what one that is? Is it like the if this were if this if this were an episode of the original Star Trek, we would look for the least emotional one, right? Yeah. The the one that was purely rational that just like listed off the Fibonacci sequence. Like, okay, that's obviously the machine. Um, that but would that be would cool. Be, that would be like a, one of those shortwave number stations. Yes. Somebody <laughs> should do that. Yeah. Uh, but that's probably. I don't. know. That would be so easily detected, right? We would say no human would do that. Yeah, I wonder if someone, and this leads me to something I think is going to be useful for our discussion, but uh, I wonder if someone's, for instance, doing a podcast with Siri. You know, like, oh, that's a good idea. Try yeah, to, that's a good we should better, do right? that for an episode where Siri mm-hmm. is one of our, is our guest. Is our guest, yes. Uh, the reason I point out Siri is that uh, as much as I am a fan of Apple, mm-hmm. lifelong fan, devoted, uh, loved much, suffered some. Yeah, sometimes. you've got the T-shirt and the tattoos and everything. That's right, yeah. That's right. It's true. T-shirt, yes. Tattoos uh, in my mind, yes. And um, but of all the voice of uh, uh, the voice uh, assistants, whatever you call them, um, made by the major companies of Microsoft, Google, and and Apple, probably guess the top three. Um, Siri is terrible. Siri huh? is very okay. bad. I don't. It's embarrassingly bad. I apologize to if there are any Siri programmers out there or. Or Siri. If Siri, if, Siri, if, if you're, you're listening. out there, Siri, if you're listening. Oh, no, that's kind of a bit. See, this is how bad Siri is, that my phone is right here, and I am saying Siri, 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 and it's, uh, you know, she's not talking she's not back. Responding. 
But um, so how long yeah. would you have to talk to Siri for before you realized you were talking to a machine? Excellent question. Honestly, Honestly. one question is, is that right? Okay. Off. Right. So, Siri has about a 50 percent response rate of being accurate. That's pretty bad. So let's say yeah. two two questions or something. Mm -hmm. OK. Yeah, because yeah, that's like my cat. Right. I mean, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I do understand my cat better than Siri. Um, so, so one of the things to look for, maybe when we're searching for our AI podcast is length. That is the, if the AI wants to hide itself, a shorter podcast is better. So anyway, because... I have Siri here. Oh, okay. I have Siri here. Let's ask, let's, let's do, we've never done this before. Actual, um, we're going to get some data real time, live experimentation. Right. Okay. Hey Siri. Oh, are you going to talk to me or are you going to be silent? I don't have an answer for that. Is there something else I can help with? Okay, right away. All right, so that's right, less than one sentence. If there's anything else I can help you with. <laughs> well, she's polite, if, if, if nothing else. Yep, okay. Yeah. Um, so... And yeah, I, so to be clear, for those of you who are questioning, was yeah. that really Siri? I, yes, I put the uh, a British woman's... Uh, you can choose different accents, and I chose the British woman instead of gotcha. the American yeah, go. Uh, so a longer podcast will give you more chances to pick up that there's something wrong. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. So, yeah. That's right. So um, so the AIs will probably do shorter podcasts just for that reason, because yeah. they're trying to not be discovered. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and then let's see here. What other sorts of things? Are there topics that only an AI would choose to do a podcast about? What kind of podcast would you make? Let me listen. Yeah, see? Conf <laughs> yeah, that was that was extremely unimpressive, Siri. <laughs> well, or or is she some sort of zen? <laughs> like, uh, I don't know. Oh, yeah, that's Who true. Actually, that's right. Along with a the therapist, we could do like Zen monk. Right? Oh, wait, because, see? Because we accept sort of non sequiturs in the spiritual realm. I just realized, actually, she was that was that you think about it. A, B, go from A to B to C to D to Z and then beyond. Mm -hmm. uh, she said, let me listen. So that's, see, to trick you, I will do a podcast in which all I do is listen. <laughs> that would be a very quiet podcast. Right, right. And you it's wouldn't know, is silence, this a bot? Yeah. Is it? Yeah. I'll just shut up and then you won't know whether I'm a bot or not. I won't engage. Okay. Well, that, I say that is a way to outflank the Turing test. Yeah. Certainly. It's just not to talk. Yeah. Um, which if I remember right, some of the replicants in Blade Runner try to do as well. Um, and then Harrison Ford shoots them. So maybe <laughs> actually that's not a good strategy. Because <laughs> <laughs> so, Harrison Ford's getting kind of crotchety in his old age. Um, and he may come try to shoot you. That's right. Um, okay. So a quiet podcast would be a good strategy as well. That is saying as little as possible. Yeah. Not uh, would not probably not be one of the more popular ones, although I am it is such a bizarre idea. I am tempted to, to try it to try it and see what happens. Hour yeah. long. Yeah, just, it's going to be called the sounds of silence. And that's all it is. It's the sound okay. of your own that's ears. Good. You're going to get so sued by Simon and Garfunkel. Oh, shoot. <laughs> <laughs> that, that would be worth it. You know, it'd be kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, let's see here. Another possibility would be, I guess is kind of the inverse of silence is to the, the AI would pick a topic that was so obscure or marginal that it would be hard to assess whether they're talking about it correctly. Yeah. Right. Like if somebody talks, if the AI tries to make a, a podcast about, um, donuts being delicious, we all have lots of experience with eating donuts. So we're going to pick up on something where they're suddenly like, my favorite flavor of donut is purple. And you're like, wait a minute. Purple's not a flavor. What? Go ahead. What is your favorite flavor of donut? I haven't tried donut shop. It sounds good, though. See, again, that's that's what I mean about serious. I love that we're getting so many examples of the Turing test being failed. Yes. Yeah. It's not here. Like the hell is going on? Uh, but if they pick something really obscure, um, like I don't know, um, a shag rug construction, right? Like I don't know. I would have to listen to somebody talk about shag rug construction for a long time to pick something up. That's weird. Um, right, right. So, so jargon of any kind is a good way to hide the fact that you're a robot. Interesting. Too. You know, here's another way to outflank, actually. This would be a little bit of a cheat, again. 
But if you did like a music podcast, um, in other words, and, and I could see an AI definitely doing it. Here's an amazing thing. AI are actually, AI have replaced DJs in some ways. They don't talk huh. like disc jockeys, right? Mm -hmm. But you definitely, I mean, it's, it's now, it's, and this has been going on for decades now, but um, they've gotten so good that, you know, you, you ask um, Siri or whoever, whatever your music thing of choice is, uh, Spotify and whatever, to create a playlist. And they just create automated or, you know, Pandora uh, okay. going all yeah, the way that's back. Right. Yeah, that's, right. that's the whole point of things like Pandora and Spotify, right? right. Is that they, right. that work for you? Um, and generally, they do a pretty good job. Yeah, okay. they've gotten quite right. good. Yeah. Um, and interestingly, there's a long history of uh, mechanical musicians. And by long history, I actually mean thousands of years. Oh, thousands. So, uh, yeah, the, so the Greek, we have records that the Greeks made um, what we would call steam-powered robots um, that played instruments. What? Um, yeah, Hero of Alexandria was was known for for making these. Uh, and, right, and then, you know, as the records get better, so 16th, 17th, 18th century, um, people make, try to make robots, that is sort of mechanical, uh, that mechanical devices that act like living things. And musicians is one of the, the common forms of this. Um, so th things that play pianos or, or whatnot, um, for whatever reason, music is sort of a natural way for um, machines to behave. Yeah. And Brian Eno, are probably one of our That's right. most <laughs> recent uh, examples of, of working with that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so, all right. So, but these are cheats. I think let, let's just, we'll just yeah. jump right in. I mean, I think okay. really what Rod from Edinburgh is asking is, uh, we're not looking for a way to cheat. Let's, what we want to know is, could AIs do a podcast, which is like, let's take the most common genre, well, for better or worse, two guys talking. Yeah. Uh -oh. That is, I'm, uh, I am feeling attacked. Right. Wait, well, and in fact, it's probably one of the more simpler ones, which is probably why there are so many of them. Uh, mm -hmm. For instance, there are more elaborate podcasts, for radio shows, which we used to think of as only radio shows, uh, are now podcasts. But for instance, uh, you could take a very elaborate podcast like Radio Lab or uh, a shout out to Rose Eveleth uh, on Flash Forward, another um a podcast where what they're doing is they're actually more like journalists. Uh, they go out, they report on stories. You you hear lots of different, you know, it's like listening to a news program and there's music and there's different people talking. Yeah, so lower production values is definitely, right. will definitely help conceal the AIs. Right. Yeah. So I can see why Rod may have thought maybe this what the if thing is a that we automated. Are. Yeah. Yeah. So how would, let's see here. So for our, so if you and I were replaced with AIs, how would this show be different? Not the show in particular, but in general, like how would you know that a given episode was, well, was being run by AIs? I just had a thought too, uh, uh, um, that two people, a two people show, two person show might actually be a little bit easier to, um, imitate than a one-person show. For instance, I had a th I was thinking mm -hmm. about, yeah, for some yeah, reason, right. I thought, oh, well, should it be one person? And then that would be like a Rush Limbaugh-type show or a mm -hmm. talk show, right. right, where there's one person pontificating for an hour or longer. And um, I feel like that would be harder because that person would have to uh, keep going and going and going. Yeah, that's right. Because if, if you're just, if it's just one person talking, you need to have a recognizable train of thought and natural yeah. segues. Whereas with two people talking, one of them can just suddenly be like, oh my God, did you hear about this? Right. And that's a thing that humans do. So you would not be shocked. Yeah. So you don't have to have an overall structure. You just end up with a crappy podcast. Right. Now, just going to make a note. And I'm not talking about anyone in particular. But I'm feeling a, attacked a, already. A, a, no, no, not you. So, uh, someone having a continuous, perhaps a leader, uh, having a continuous strain of a continuous train of thought mm -hmm. um, that's not repetitive and not with non sequiturs. That no longer is a requirement. I think I'll just say uh, that. That is correct. Yes, yeah. uh, and actually, Twitter would be a good choice for an AI to yeah. uh, hide itself because the it's things are naturally broken up into those short chunks. Yeah. So it doesn't have to do the kind of transitions between thoughts that we expect verbally from humans. That's right. That's right. right. And actually, one thing that gives away the fact that it might be a human using Twitter 
is the fact that they might not be able to condense their thoughts as rambling or <laughs> as mm-hmm. discontinuous as they might be. They, a, a bot yeah. would be able to condense that thought into one tweet, probably. Uh, uh, it's just zero one zero 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 one zero zero kind of thing, right? Yeah, like, okay, done. But but, but the but but a human uh, might, uh, for instance, um, end every tweet, not be able to finish. So therefore, they have long r- runs of tweets where it's like and it ends with dot 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 dot, and mm-hmm. then it goes on to another one. So, okay. um, so and, and I don't know. So is, what would yeah. that's right? So do we think an AI could come up with a good if? Ah, yeah. Yeah, sure. Why not? So, so, so they would need a particular. <laughs> this is funny. Okay, so I wrote a bot once. I actually, <laughs> I, I probably have told this story before, but I think it's been a while. I um, tried to create. Uh, I wasn't thinking of the Turing test. I wasn't tr- thinking of trying to fool Alan, Tor- Alan Turing or anyone who knew what a Turing test was. But I was thinking to trick my English teacher, um, so- somewhat unintentionally. It was really more about the just the. Uh, the challenge of it all. So I had a, a poetry class and uh, I loved my teacher and I still do. If you're out there, Mrs. Adler, you're wonderful. <laughs> and I apologize for this situation. Um, I, uh, so we had this poetry class and we were learning. And, and one of the assignments was choose a poet, pick one of their poems, um, read it to the class and then, you know, and analyze it or give to, just tell us about it. Right. Give us some insight about this poem and what's the, what's it about and whatever. So at the same time, Apple II computers arrived in our high school, and I immediately took to them. And I decided to write, uh, E.E. Cummings was a poet I liked. Ah, And it struck me immediately that E.E. Cummings type poetry, which is random line, unusual line breaks, very Mm -hmm. frequent, um, lots of odd punctuation characters thrown in often all lowercase things like this things that looked um and and but to be clear apple 2 we're talking about apple 2e maybe even apple 3 uh by this point by the time we got to this class i say that because they had lowercase letters which is important so i sat down and i'm going to write an ee e. cummings generator ee e. cummings poem generator mm-hmm. And essentially a bot. And so to do this, I, you know, this is not that sophisticated, but I like created, um, uh, it was a program that would reach for certain uh, databases. So basically just long strings of words. So I just said, here's mm-hmm. a bunch of nouns, here's a bunch of adjectives, verbs, and stuff like that. And it would create these things. And then it would also do len- random line breaks. The thing did a pretty damn good job. <laughs> so good that... Uh-oh. When I chose one of the poems that the uh, Apple E.E. E. Cummings generator, written in basic, uh, created, I printed it out, as one does, and uh, handed it out to the class. And I, this is one of those things where you're like, suddenly you realize, oh, I'm really doing this, and now I have to go all the way. Now you have to go all the way. <laughs> so, yeah. okay. okay, so I handed them out to the class, and I bullshit the, <laughs> excuse me. I just got the explicit tag. I BS the entire interpretation and the history and whatnot. And uh, perhaps an indication of my future career in improv. And um, great. Everyone was like rapt listening, rapt attention. And um, a week later, come back to the class again. And I get my get it back from um, Mrs. Adler. And I got an A. Nice. And I loved Mrs. Adler so much, I became her teacher's assistant, as one oh, is wow. wont to do. The equivalent of wiping off the blackboards, although I had more <laughs> sophisticated tasks than that. I think I actually ran the mimeograph machine. Um, and she liked me so much, she bought me, one time she bought me a book of the Beatles. She knew I liked the Beatles. She bought me a little book about the Beatles, and that was great. And in my stupidity, in my teenage uh, stupidity, um, I told, I was so proud of what I had done with this computer program. And I told Mrs. Adler about oh. it. <laughs> and she, much to my surprise, um, she was not happy. She was, <laughs> she turned red. She was mad. She didn't yell or anything, but she was just like, huh. And um, I realized that, uh, yeah. Anyway, she wasn't happy about it. So, wow, that's rough. 
if you are a bot, do not reveal that you are a bot. That's the moral of them. Yes, that's this, probably right. Um, unless there's maybe we could do that's like the fourth law of robotics. If you're yeah. a bot, you have to admit you're a bot. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that'd be good. And don't use your powers for evil. Well, that's <laughs> yeah, that's a little trickier. Um, now, as a te- I realized I was just telling this story to a teacher. I, how would you have felt if a student? Uh, I think in Gallatin, that might have been cool. That's right. At, at my particular school, that might go. Uh, it depends on the teacher. Like the math teacher would have been delighted that you had yeah. fooled them. Yeah. Um, so you just need to pick your discipline. That's right. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Have we found a, I don't think we've found a foolproof proof way of detecting oh, well, the said, AI podcast. That, that, that diversion came from the fact, yeah, you said, could a, could an AI choose an if? And, and so what I thought was it, yeah, if it was given a database, for instance, there is a book called what the if I believe. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Randall Monroe's book or right. called what if, yeah. What if, and, um, you know, if you just fed the table of contents to the AI mm-hmm. and said, choose one of these things, then instantly. So it, it depends on how, how much. Um, yeah, that's right. And then, do. okay, so let's say, so it can generate a, an, an if because ifs by their nature are kind of random. So you might not notice the bizarreness. Yeah. Um, could an AI follow through the consequences of an if? Ah. Um, in a way that would make sense. Um, So one of the the challenges or one of the big shifts in AI research in the last 20, 30 years, um, that it was uh, sort of early on in AI research, the thought was if you you should make a machine that's really good at one thing, you know, playing chess or whatever, and that's what marks intelligence. Yeah. Um, But it turns out that that's so narrow that it does not seem like a smart person, right? No one mistakes a chess playing computer for an actual chess master. Well, in fact, I was at um, one of the Deep Blue versus Kasparov events Mm -hmm. in New York. I was sitting actually like in the front row and um, at one of the games one of the matches where uh, Kasparov felt that the computer, but felt the programmers had cheated and Ah. he came down and he was furious and he was on one, he was like on the left side of the stage and on the right side of the stage was a line of engineers and programmers and whatever. Mm -hmm. And actually one of them, one of the guys on the IBM team was a master chess player. I forget his name, Josh something. And, um, uh, Kasparov pointed at him and said, there was, what about move, you know, move 232 or whatever. Um, and he, he just felt that uh, there was a move that was so surprising. In fact, the engineers, the way they tell it was, they were really, everybody, ga- I remember, so we sat there uh, during okay. the match, right. there were commentators, yeah. right? And we were watching a big video screen as the match played itself out with the board yeah. and the pieces. And, the people. and there was one move, everybody was, oh. And so there was a moment where, um, mm-hmm if we can believe the IBM programmers that they weren't cheating, this this artificial intelligence, which, as you say, was sort of purpose-made to play right. Kasparov in particular, mm-hmm. it, it went against his style, but it seemed to go beyond the Turing. Yeah, so one of the standards that people often look for for humans versus machines is spontaneity, right? Ah. Humans, humans can make weird leaps in a way machines can't because machines are supposed to just follow yeah. a set of rules. Yeah. Um, so that's often a thing you can look for, but it can't be too random because then that does look like a machine. Yeah. Right. So yeah. it has to be so that the leaps that are interesting have to be big, but understandable in retrospect. Well, or so is it they have to be big and not actually brilliant? No, no, it's that you uh, can say, oh, I can see how you I wouldn't have thought of making that connection. I wouldn't uh, have thought we'd be talking about your seventh grade English teacher. Right. Um, but in retrospect, it's very clear why we started talking about your seventh grade English teacher. Ah, uh, Yeah. Right. Whereas if the if we had suddenly shifted to talking about Twinkies, um, we'd be like, well, yeah, that's spontaneous. But there isn't that doesn't have anything to do with what you're just talking about. Right. So I so I think you're a machine. I I accuse you of being a machine because you made an incorrect or an inexplicable jump. Right. Although I'm not. Are you talking about this particular move that the the deep blue made? 
Mm-hmm. They described it as human-like. Yeah. Now, I don't right. know chess well we, enough to know what that meant, but... I don't really either. Yeah. Um, but uh, but I think we can probably all get uh, a, a sense of what that means, that if, yeah. if there's a sudden shift in conversation, a move, yeah. um, that some moves are very straightforward and uh, they follow the train of the conversation and some are surprising. That is, they suddenly shift the direction of the conversation. Right. Um, and that that would be I'll bet that's something you would look for if we were replaced with AIs. Yeah, actually, that is, we would not expect an AI because what we do here is we do make those leaps. But the the weird connections we make uh, rely on the fact that we have a very broad knowledge of the world. Right. We know about all these different little things and then we find the connections between them. And that's why the if ends up interesting is that we make those those interesting jumps. Um, And I think I would hope at least that AIs are not very good at that. They might be good at really drilling down on one thing, but they are not so good at the lateral thinking. Yeah. And another thing about this move that Kasparov pointed, what really bothered him was that that move seemed brilliant. And mm-hmm. then the rest, in his mind, were, you know, acceptable things that the computer, either very smart or very, you know, uh, skilled computer would have mm-hmm. made. This move stood out to him. And yeah. so that's another thing that, like, you can look for um, the hand of the creator stepping in, perhaps. For instance... Yeah, kind of a discontinuity. Yeah, there are, they say... Um, I'm not sure about Siri in particular, but right, that we've learned in the news that there are um, humans actually kind of monitoring whatever small portion of the requests made to Siri or to Google or other things. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, humans step in occasionally, apparently. They're like, oh, that's <laughs> that's going to be a bad response. Let me, and, mm-hmm. and they, they're putting it in. So um, Kasparov called it the, I don't remember, I should know, but the, the name of the, um, soccer player, the football player, a hand of Maradona. Got me. Okay. So there's a famous, there's a famous, um, moment in soccer history in football history where the goalie who was a famous goalie, I believe named Maradona or something like that cheated or somebody Mm -hmm. cheated by using their hand or whatever. And maybe it it had a major effect on a world cup. I'm really weak on this, but, but, but he pointed to that as like, this was a obvious, cheat oh, okay um so that would be another way like if you and i actually went in and we let the ais record our podcast but we went in and corrected certain things someone oh, yes, might be able right. to say yes. mm, no that was, mm-hmm. um, um yeah so i don't so i would like to think that our particular flavor of podcast would be hard to replicate with ais um because we do a lot of that lateral thinking but if our podcast was just discussing, I don't know, some technical aspect of, I don't know, what woodworking or something, right? Something with lots of uh, specific jargon, yeah. uh, and they just went back and forth. That might be hard to detect. Yeah, um, <laughs> just give me an idea for a show, another show, which is we discuss. This is a different podcast where we discuss things we have absolutely no idea about oh that would be good well that's like not my job on uh, wait wait don't tell me right? oh okay right quiz right. people about things they don't know anything about right or drunk history <laughs> or drunk history yep. yeah yeah good excellent one. um so what will it take for us to get to do, do you think we're going to get to the point where this i feel like we i'm optimistic about technology or to pessimistic depending on how you see it but what would it take um is it just bigger for instance google seems to have enormous um uh they're probably one of the best places to have the potential to really perfect ai and i think they've been working on it quite well because they have this just this such huge amount of data and computers and stuff. Yeah, so I should say this is something that we actually don't understand very well. Like I said, uh, once upon a time, it was thought that the key to AI would just be more computing power, that is more calculations per second will eventually create human-like intelligence. And then it turned out that that actually doesn't work very well, except for specific things like playing chess, but doesn't does not replicate intelligence in the way we recognize it. So nowadays, the thinking is that you need lots of information 
Um, like Google, for instance, is billions of pieces of individual information and how they connect. And then we don't, and that seems to, that works pretty well. Like that's how Google image search works, um, yeah. is just finding weird connections between things. Uh, so that's good at other things. That's good at other things that still doesn't really replicate human intelligence. So this suggests that there's still some aspect of intelligence that we don't quite get yet. Um, and it turns out that our human brains are pretty good at filtering out um, non-humans from humans. Uh, so it's going to be a while yet, I think. Um, and there's, I, I think the mistake is to try and choose one thing that humans, that machines can't do, right? They can't do empathy. They can't do chess. Um, uh, they can't do humor. They can't come up with a good cookie recipe, right? That that does not that has not had a good track record um but there's something ineffable that our brains look for when they're trying to find a human um and we've got millions of years of evolutionary practice at doing this um probably trying to keep you know neanderthals out of our, our camps once <laughs> upon a time um and we're really good at that and it's it seems to me it's going to take a while for computers to outdo those millions of years of evolution Oh, although you mentioned that, that's quite interesting, that that survival drives the growth of the intelligence and that mm -hmm. those Boston robotics robots, for instance, or mm -hmm. you just take if you take any kind of uh, computer or artificial intelligence or thing striving for artificial intelligence and you force it to survive, you give it the impulse to survive at all costs and then, yep, you, threaten right. and then you just it. let it run. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, and you can, because this takes time, it's hard to do physically, but you can do this with simulations. So for instance, if you take a, a virtual critter, um, with like some weird arrangement of legs and you don't, and you try to teach it how to walk, um, if you give it a set of rules, it does really badly at it, put your left foot here, your right foot here. But if you just say, try walking. Uh, try getting from point A to point B, and when you're successful, you reinforce that, and when it's unsuccessful, you say, don't try that again. Um, and then you can run that a billion times, and it turns out it'll teach itself how to walk without too much trouble. Yes. Right. So the podcast equivalent of that, I think, yes. is uh, you set up some AIs with a bunch of recording technology, and they will upload billions of crappy podcasts, yep. and whichever ones yep. get downloaded a lot, the machines make more like that. And then, uh, again, you, it, it's, it just takes, you know, the top five out of the billion it makes um, and then says, tells itself, make more like that and more like that and more like that. And it runs that generation for as long as as long as people keep downloading the crappy podcasts, it'll get reinforcement and eventually it will end up with the perfect podcast, which will no doubt sound exactly like ours. That is amazing. I, I think that's how we got television. Okay. <laughs> um, well, for better or worse. Yeah. 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 Um, wow. Yeah, that's fascinating. And considering the growth of podcasts, like they say, there's, I don't know, some ridiculous number of new podcasts every day. I think this may be happening. Well, that's and it might be hard to tell. Yeah, if that is what's happening or if just random humans are doing weird stuff. Wow. Amazing. Well, um, to all our bots in the audience, thank you. You inspire us. You scare us a little bit to all our humans. Control our life support systems. You could, <laughs> <laughs> but we're happy to feed your power <laughs> source. That's right. We will keep as much electricity flowing to you <laughs> as you need. Um, yes, and but, keep those Netflix shows coming. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, and and just to make to make uh, make amends with Apple, I'll say Apple Plus, Apple Plus, uh, uh, Apple Original Television shows quite good actually. Huh? So. Um, for bots, you know, mm -hmm. uh, uh, Rod from Edinburgh. Thank you very much. You are a super ifer, or maybe he is an artificial intelligence. Yes, it does. It's, right, it, but super ifer transcends all. We can all. That's right. That's right. It's a trans species. Trans yeah. species, posthuman. Mm -hmm. In gratitude, we are going to send you to Edinburgh coming your way will be a finger puppet of a great scientist or science fiction character. I think there is a touring. I think there should be. If there isn't, there should be. Yeah, yeah, I think that's coming. That might be coming your way, Rod. I, I don't know which one it'll be, but it could be him. And um, for those of you listening who would like your own finger puppet, uh, first, I suggest send us an idea. Go to uh, sub email us 
at feedback at whattheif.com or go to our website, whattheif.com and click on contact and send us your idea. And if you get chosen, just like Ron, um, you too will get a finger puppet. But if you don't want to wait, um, if an if hasn't come into your mind, your silicon-based or uh, what do you call it? Meat? Wet meat? Meat. Yeah, uh, brain. Um, Yet. You can go to philosophersguild.com, the unemployed philosophers guild, uh, who makes these wonderful finger puppets for friends of mine. Philosophersguild.com. If you use the coupon code WTIF, you can buy anything, anything in the store and get 10% off. So thank you. Thank you, Rod. And uh, on Twitter, we are at What the If Show. Follow us there. Matt, do you have anything coming up you want to plug? Um. Plug in? No, not for a little while, actually. So, no. Okay. All right. It's brewing. It's brewing. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you all for listening. And now uh, join us. You're listening to the audience. And if you know the ritual, join our ritual. And if not, um, ask Siri to do it for you. Ask Siri to. <laughs> hey, Siri. What is, what is what the if? I didn't find anything on the web for what is what is what the f. <laughs> what? Ah. What is what is what the f? <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, that forces us to scream, yeah, uh, and and we do it now, and we say, what, what the f? <laughs> <laughs>